What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. This is episode 124, and this is Halloween week. And joining me on the show is actress, writer, director, and horror film fanatic, Miss Jessica Cameron. But before we get to that, let me tell you about my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers. The Unicorn Wranglers are an indie rock band based right here in Pensacola, Florida, and they are very important to this podcast. And that's because they supply the theme music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode. And the song you heard today is Twin Peaks from their album Murder Mystery Night, which you can find for free on Bandcamp. Just go to bandcamp.com, search for the Unicorn Wranglers, and you can get Murder Mystery Night for free. That's my favorite four-letter word, free. You can also find their EP Atomics on iTunes and Spotify, and you can follow them on social media. They're on Twitter and Instagram at Wranglers. They're also on Facebook. And finally, be sure to check out their website, theunicornwranglers.com. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Miss Jessica Cameron. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. This is Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. diamond. Experience! Sitting here with my very special guest this week, actress Miss Jessica Cameron. Jessica, how are you tonight? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so very much for having me on. No, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but you actually followed uh, my podcast page on Twitter recently, and then I was reading some of your your background and some of the movies you were in, and you seemed like you'd be an interesting person to talk to. So, oh, thanks. I love Twitter. It's actually my favorite social media. It's. I think it's the best when it comes to interaction because so many people use it now. Like I still love Facebook, but Twitter. It seems like you get more and you can get more news that way too. Yeah, I also just feel like I can be really real and authentic on Twitter. There's, I don't know. I feel like there's less judgment. I could see that less political stuff. Yeah, and that's the other thing. There's less political stuff. I'm Canadian. I, my very firm belief is that all the Americans fucked up the election, so I don't need to hear about it every single day. <laughs> well, you'll get no argument from me on that, because I know usually this is around the time of year, especially during elections, where I start to unfollow a few people. I won't unfriend them, but I'll unfollow them just so I don't have to see their stupid stuff. Well, and it's constant. Like that's I will say, y'all are committed. <laughs> yeah, or worse. That's that's very- one way of putting it. That is one way of putting it. So uh, what part of Canada are you from? I am from a very small town called Owen Sound, Ontario. It's about two and a half hours north of Toronto. If you've not heard of it, you're not the only one. I don't think I've ever met anybody who did know Owen Sound, Ontario. Uh, I I do not. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so how was it growing up in Canada? Because, you know, I'm obviously from the United States. I've lived in Florida my entire life. Never been to Canada. What was it like growing up? You know, I don't think it's too much different than yours, although it's more toned down and much tamer. So, like, all of your high school movies are not like our high schools. We didn't have – in Canada, everything is similar to the United States, but kind of to a lesser extent, if that makes sense. So, like, our popular kids were not as popular as your popular kids. Our nerdy geeks were not as nerdy or geeky as yours. You know, our rich are not as wealthy as yours. Our poor are not as poor as yours. 
so it's kind of like a much more of a middle ground, you know. Uh, in my hometown, you know, I I started a cheerleading squad. I've always loved the idea of being on a cheerleading squad. Uh, so I had to start one when I moved schools, um, and it wasn't a popularity contest like it seems to be in America. It was very much sort of like the outcasts were on it almost, which we didn't really care because we just wanted to cheer. But, like, the football players weren't necessarily, like, the big studs of the school either. It was just very much more toned down. Like a more tame version yeah. of the United States. I gotcha. That's interesting about cheerleaders being more of the outcast because with the, with U.S. you think it's more of like the preppy type, or at least that's how it's portrayed, you know, in certain movies. Yeah, well, and certainly like with us, it was just anybody who wanted to do something and cheer on their school. I I just always loved the idea of cheering on others. I so the actual act of cheering, you know, appealed to me, and I think it's really positive you know, to motivate others. So I loved it from that standpoint, but it was very different than what the American television and film world would have you believe. At least it was for me up in Canada. No, um, I, I think that's great. Entire university, my four years of university, I never saw a sorority at all. Wow. Yeah. And so apparently we do have them up there, but again, I think they're just so quiet and toned down. Um, I didn't even know my school had an athletic anything to do with the athletics whatsoever until like my final year in school. And I was like, wait a second, there's a gym here, huh? That's crazy. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's interesting how it's so similar, but yet so different. And those little aspects can make it such a different experience. That's kind of cool though, because with, you know, American colleges, that's the first thing you think of is like a football team or a basketball team or any type of athletic. But with you, not really knowing that much about it until towards the end of your time there. That's pretty crazy. Right. It's kind of cool, actually. It really was. And, you know, it's interesting. Apparently there are scholarships and such for athletics. But, again, I didn't know anybody. You know, I went to Ryerson University. I studied fashion design and merchandising. Um, so we just kind of kept to ourselves, I guess. And I never even knew that they existed. Now, while you were growing up and while you were in college, like what were some of your interests besides cheerleading? Well, I worked full time all through university, so I kind of didn't have much of a social life or much interest at all, honestly, outside of schooling because, you know, going to school full time and in Canada, our schooling is more intense than yours. So I think at the time, anyways, the American universities typically did around 10 hour, 10 to 11 hours of classes per week. Our schools were 16 to 20. Wow. Yeah, and then ours gave a mandatory two hours of homework for every one hour of class on top of, like, your actual exams and such. So, quite frankly, working a full-time job and also going to school and maintaining good grades was, you know, all I could handle. Uh, absolutely. What about when you were younger before you started going to university? You know, and growing up in Owen Sound, Ontario, you would just sort of hang out with people. And, you know, certainly drinking and partying happened at, an, I think, an earlier age than most. I think 15 around where I grew up uh, was pretty common just because there's not a lot to do there. You know, in my hometown, we had three Tim Hortons, which is sort of like a Dunkin' Donuts, but better, uh, tastier. <laughs> <laughs> but again, if you talk to Dunkin' Donut lovers, they'll tell you the opposite. Uh so we just sort of hung out and didn't really, you know, do much. We'd, we'd go to the movies. We would have movie marathons, you know. But that was what you do in a small town. You know, we had one movie theater and a drive-in, if you can believe that. That's awesome. Yeah, they still have the drive-in to this day. It's still oh, there. that's so cool. Yeah. I've never been to a drive-in, but I've seen them, you know, I've seen pictures. 
my parents have been to one, and I just never. There's not really any around here. No, or really, any anymore. Died out so. in America because, like, they're they're not. From what I know, they're not big money makers. You yeah. Know? So they've kind of just sort of fallen by the wayside, unfortunately. Because just from what I've seen, you know, on TV shows and movies and pictures, it seems like it's just it's something different. Mm-hmm. And it's something really cool that you know I wish I could go to at some point. Uh, but what were some of your favorite movies growing up? I always, luckily, veered towards the scary and the horror. They're just always the most fun to watch. So I never really understood at the time, too. I, I have a greater appreciation for the humor of my generation, like American Pie and all that now, than I did then. At the time, I just liked things that were scary and interesting and things that I felt were not predictable. You know, I remember feeling like so many of the films were so obviously cliched and wondering who they were trying to target because I hated them. Interesting. So, I I did think Cruel Intentions was a big one for me when I was a teenager. I've probably seen that movie a hundred times. Which one? Cruel Intentions. I've actually never seen that one. Oh, you should. It's good. It's. I think it's one of those movies that like you appreciate it more as a teenager, but I still think it's good today. As a grown-up, I still support that choice to my teenage self. It's interesting because a lot of the actors or actresses that I've had on this show, for the most part, they'll do horror, but they didn't grow up liking horror movies. It's just something they happen to do. You're actually the <clears> – <throat> excuse me – the first actress I've talked to that actually grew up loving horror and is doing it now. Really? So that's interesting, yeah. Like, I remember all of my friends at the time loved horror, too. I guess none of them do it as a business now, but they loved it at the time. And there are some that I like. You know, I, I love the old, like, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Streets. Those are classics, but and I guess I'm kind of a wuss when it comes to, to movies. <laughs> but those are the best ones to watch if you're a wuss, in my opinion. The classics are where it's at because they aren't too – I don't think Freddy to a grown-up is scary. Yeah. Certainly not the you know original films that were in the 80s and such. Right. They're not like fear-invoking because they're almost ridiculous in a way. And they got more campy as, as they kept making more. Like the first one and the second one to a degree were the only ones that I would put in like the horror-thriller category. The rest are more like comedies. Correct. Dark comedies, but comedies nonetheless. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Now, um, I was reading on your IMDb that you went to school f- to study fashion. Is that correct? It was my first career love. Uh, what was it that made you want to go into fashion? Um, I've always loved the artistic side of education. So photography, painting, art, sculpture, fashion design. Um, and I kind of just sort of would pursue each one of those in like a small capacity until I got bored with it. And I would usually get bored if I got any kind of success or acclaim. So I focused on photography for a good chunk of time and I won some awards and I had some fun with it, but I kind of got tired of it. Um, and then I moved on over into fashion and I just loved it so much that I was like, this is something I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. Side note, I did not do it for the rest of my life. What was it specifically about fashion that you wanted to do? For me at the time, I think it was just being able to really express yourself without saying a word. You know, I think clothing can do so much. And one of the many things that it can do is tell a story just by existing. 
So I love that ability. And I love that it has the power to change mood and atmosphere. You know, you can be feeling really bad and put on a great outfit and you feel so much better about everything, life, the day, everything. So I love the fact that it has that ability. That is true. And one thing, you know, that I think about are different types of T-shirts. Like, you know, I'll walk around and see, like, say, an Archer shirt and I'll think it's funny. Or I'll see a cool-looking, I guess, like a Quicksilver or a Billabong shirt, and I'm like, oh, that looks really awesome. So, yeah, I I see where you're saying about how it can kind of entice a a certain mood once you see it or put it on. And it's also, to me, it's probably the most readily accessible mass form of consumed art, you know? Because we don't all go to the museums every day. We don't all have, you know, wonderful pieces of art hanging up in our homes. But all of us have some element of fashion. You know, even the most basic is a fashion statement, whether you mean it to be or not. You could be like, well, I'm just going to wear jeans and T-shirts because I don't want to make a fashion statement. And by doing that, you're making a fashion statement. That's true. That is very true. I love that. I just... I loved it. And it's fun. Like, it's always been fun to me. Fashion has always just been one of those super enjoyable, you know, aspects of life, really. Now, how did you make the transition from fashion to acting? Um, It was actually completely by accident. (laughs) I started working at a company that I won't mention deliberately because I don't like to give them any promotion. (laughs) Uh, But that company decided that I spoke too fast at my first review. Three months into the company, they loved me, but they decided that my speech was a problem. Now, keep in mind, I was only allowed to speak once every, you know, every other day at the meeting. So twice a week, we had a meeting that I was allowed to talk at. So this was quite ridiculous, but whatever. Uh, It came from my boss's boss, So even though my boss thought it was ridiculous, there was nothing she could do. So she suggested when I could not find an actual speech class, she was like, you know what? Take an acting class and then talk slowly around the stupid people. And that's what I did. And luckily for me, it was perfectly timed. At the time, it was really annoying to me. I was like, oh, you know, the last thing I want to do is take, you know, classes in my personal time. I'm out of university. You know, I just want to move on with my life. However, I was also stuck in this job that I did not like in a career that fashion design is fun in theory. It's not fun in actuality, or at least it's a lot less fun. So as soon as I started taking these acting classes, I just fell madly in love. I love the craft. I love the challenge. I'm not an overly emotional person in my daily life. You know, I'm not that girl who's going to crack down and cry for no reason. So being able to control your emotions and utilize them them in film was sort of this really fun challenge that I love to do. And I found very quickly that I was eagerly trying to get through the workday just so I could get to my class. Um, And that was kind of a turning point for me when I was like, you know what, this is what I should be doing full time. That's fantastic. That's cool how you just kind of stumbled upon it. And that sucks about the whole, you know, getting criticized for your speech being too fast. That's a dumb excuse. Well, here's the thing. What I learned about, unfortunately in fashion is a lot of them are just like that. Like it's filled with a lot of jealous, ignorant, arrogant people. It seems very shallow. It's incredibly shallow. Um, And they kind of have like the company I was at who I deliberately don't want to mention. Cause like I said, I don't want to give them promotion. Um, They were kind of of the mentality that we're going to break you down 
kind of like the army does. The difference being they didn't desire to build you back up like ever. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, so they would just sort of tear you down and then kind of leave you there like that. And it was like, wait a second, now what? what, what what's going on? I don't know what to do. Um, so it was just sort of their culture. You know, I, I'm not surprised I didn't last there too long. I literally started plotting my escape after taking fashion cause I, or after taking some acting classes because I just felt it was a much better fit for my life. Um, and fashion design just as a whole too. Like I just, I didn't drive with the people. It was really immature. They just weren't, they, they are not how I wanted to be in life. So I was like, you know what? I need to figure something else out. But like I said, everything works out for a reason. You know, I'm so happy they made me do it. I don't know if I would have found, um, acting on my own. And now you're doing what you love to do. So now I'm doing what I love to do. And I wake up every day and I am so excited for the day. I think that that's for me anyways, when I knew that this was the thing I want to do with my life, when you can wake up and just be thrilled to be like, I'm going to read script, you know, to be excited to do whatever it is that you're doing that day. That's Absolutely. That's when you're in the right job, in my opinion. And also, you know, when you're spending 40 hours a week doing something you don't like, surrounded by people you don't like, it's really toxic. You know, it's a long, it's a lot of time to spend if you don't like the people you're working with or what you're doing. And it can affect your life outside of work, too. Oh, it definitely can. I, I didn't know, I, you know, and I was, it was sad because at the time, like I said, I'm Canadian, so they, and they brought me down, so I was stuck in a two-year contract. Like, I don't know if I would have been able to survive. Um, truthfully, without acting, it was really like the release that I needed. Oh, absolutely. And like I said, you're you're going to do what you love to do, so that's the important thing. Exactly. Now, once you got out of fashion, how did you eventually make it to to Hollywood? Well, I decided that I needed. I, I looked at everything that I needed, right? So I figured out how much money I wanted to have savings in the bank. I wanted to have enough savings, basically, that I could live a pared down life without having to get a day job. Right. Mm -hmm. So I figured out what that was for me. And then I also figured out what else do I need to have prior to doing this full time to to be able to do it full time? Because, like, you know, with any tools, with any career, there's tools you need, whether it be a great resume, work experience, etc. So in acting, it was a website. It was a reel. It was clips. It was all of the above. It was a social media presence. So I started to focus on all of that. And I was like, okay, let me get all this in line. Let me get a handle on how long do I think it's going to take for me to build this, right? Because, you know, the other thing is you can't just throw a number out in the air. I could have been like, it's going to take me six years. No. So I started to just sort of work at it so I could determine how long exactly is it going to take. So I decided that I could probably do everything I needed within two years if I really worked hard. So that's working hard to build my resume, get my website up, get my real footage, get all of the above, save up enough money that I could live comfortably, um, and then also build up enough of a reputation that I could seek out extra work. And then I just focused on doing that. And then from there, I, I met that one goal. So then that was, okay, leave your job and do this full time. Then I said, okay, I'm living in Ohio. I'm going to give myself one year. And if I can pay my bills in Ohio without going into my savings, if I can do this here, then I'll move to L.A. where it's a bigger market, where there's more stuff. Then I will uproot my life because I feel like it's worth it. But not until I can decide if I can make it in a small market. The reasoning being I was like, you know, if I can't make it in a small market, I'm not going to be able to make it there. 
So that's exactly what I did. That's smart. I thought. That was very, very smart. And I also, something else that's really important that sometimes I forget to mention, uh, but I think if you're thinking about doing anything similar, I really encourage you to do this. Um, I really looked at everything in my life and was like, what do I not need? What can I get rid of? You know, um, because I had to pare down my life. You know, I, the reality of the matter is every $5 coffee, every, you know, extra $10 in gas you spent because you wanted to go out that weekend, all of that kind of thing adds up. And in a situation like this, it can add up to prevent you from chasing your dream if you're not careful. So I really focused on what do I need in life? What can I get rid of? And I got rid of everything that wasn't absolutely mandatory. That's awesome. Well, that, yes. that's, that's like the smartest plan that I've ever heard. When, when, when someone explains, you know, oh, I moved out to L.A. to become an actor or become a director, that's honestly the smartest plan that I've heard anyone say. Thank you. I really, I really had to put a lot of time and it's not, you know, people are like, well, you make it so easy. I'm like, it's not easy, but if you're really focused and you're on top of your goals, I would argue it's not overly hard either. Don't get me wrong. I used to love, I had a ritual when I had a day job and it was every time I was on my way to an audition, I would get a Starbucks latte. It was a $5 coffee to reward myself for getting the audition. Well, guess what? When you do this full time, I might get 12 auditions in a week. I'm not going to spend $60 on coffee. That habit had to go. And also I was celebrating the audition. I don't need to do that now that I do this full time. You know what I mean? Um, it's one of those things where to do this full time, I need to not do that. Right. Exactly. And like you said, the, the Starbucks, because you know, me and my girlfriend are doing that now we're trying to cut out things that aren't absolutely necessary. And I'm like, wow, I do a lot of things that I don't really need to do. Correct. Well, I think a lot of people do, you know, I got into the habit. I bought a lunchbox. I bought to go cups. So I would bring my coffee everywhere. I would, I brought a thermoses. So I would always have warm coffee. Cause that was like, at the time that was one of my excuses to why I justified buying coffee everywhere. I was like, well, because I don't like cold coffee. I want it to be warm. Cool. You could buy a thermos for that. That's like $12 and you have it for a life. Um, and then, you know, I gave up, I remember I had cable. I was like, how often do I even watch this? Got rid of it. You know, uh, anything else I didn't need got rid of, you know, every, you know, for when I lived in Ohio, every summer I would do two or three big garage sales, just get rid of it, get rid of it, turn it into cash. If you can throw it away. If you can't, you know, planning for that time. If, or when I moved, that's another thing. I'm glad I've heard somebody else say it. I, I got rid of cable a couple of months ago. I haven't missed it since. Nope. Because, I mean, you can get all your news online. Correct. And now most of us do anyways. I didn't miss it at all. That was probably the easiest thing. No, absolutely. Like, at the time, you know, you. I think a lot of us are predisposed to, if we grew up with something, at the time it was weird because I was like, I've always had this. You know, but just because you've always had it doesn't mean that you need it. And also, it doesn't mean that you have time for it today in the modern society. Exactly. I mean, we were talking about social media earlier. We have so much, we have easy access to everything. Everybody has a smartphone. Everybody has a Facebook. Everybody has a Twitter. You don't have to turn it on the national news Correct. to find out what's going on. You can just follow the right people on Twitter and you'll be able to get it faster than you would see it on, on the news. Exactly. Now, once you got out to Hollywood, uh, what were some of the first you know, movies or – because I know you did some web series too. 
what were some of the first gigs that you got when you moved out to L.A.? You know, I just sort of continued working on a lot of independent film. One of my first uh, bigger ones was Brides of Beverly Hills, which is a reality show, um, which was on TLC at the time. Uh, and that was awesome. You know, it was like two to three million people per week. And it was a really good captive audience. Now, I'm obviously not a bridal stylist. And on the show, I was. So infer that what you will. <laughs> it's a reality show. I think we're all aware they're not exactly real. Yeah. Um, I was actually um, one of the web series I actually watched a couple of episodes of today. I believe it's called Eight and Five. Oh, I that love you were in. Five. The, that was so great. The look like, of it. Oh, go ahead. Hoping they show at some point. The look of it was very interesting with the whole, you know, drawn, uh, like hand drawn backgrounds, and you had the people mm-hmm. uh, that looked real, but they had like a, a certain color to them. Mm-hmm. It looked really cool, and I, I really liked it. I, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. I mean, all of them are on YouTube, which oh, is absolutely. fantastic. Season one is on YouTube. We did shoot a second season, so. Oh, okay. Hopefully they'll release that not too far from now. That's such a fun project. I really, really love that. I really love those guys. They're so incredibly talented. And it just goes to show you that there's brilliance everywhere. You know, a lot of the time people ask me, they're like, well, but I live in this small middle of nowhere. People are doing movies out here. I was like, yes, they are. You're just not looking in the right places. It's 2016. People are making movies everywhere. That's kind of the cool thing about independent films is, you know, you have your big budgets like your – your Marvel movies, uh, your Star Wars that everybody's going to go see and make. You know, they're going to make a ton of money, but to me, if you want good original content, you should watch indie films. Because as, as good as big-budget movies can be, they can get a little repetitive because there are so many reboots and sequels. But exactly. I, well, and the formula, the Hollywood formula is if it's making money, let's do a lot of it. Which means if you're looking for something original, Hollywood's not going to be the place to go for it by definition. You know, they're doing what works. They're doing things according to a formula. You know, what I love about, about independent is anything goes. You know, so long as your investors are on board with it, have fun. There was a trailer for a movie that recently came out. It was with Daniel Radcliffe. It was where he played the dead guy who was stranded oh. on an island. Oh, what's it called? I really want to see that. It looks great. Yeah, I'll have to Google that real quick. But like, it looked like such an original idea, and I'm like, I've never seen this before. Nope. And it's That's it's something like that that would ever make ever. Yeah, they exactly. Would never allow it to be made. It was Swiss Army Man. There you go. Yeah, original ideas like that you, you won't really see uh, on a big budget thing. Like, don't get me wrong, I love Spider Man. I grew up watching the cartoon, reading the comic books. But how many times has that been rebooted? Oh, God, I've lost count. I believe they're on their third or fourth one. Correct. And so. people aren't hire, like, studios don't hire based on who's going to do the movie the best. People hire based upon who can they sell the most. So that's the other thing is you're not getting the people that are the most passionate about it or that understand it necessarily. You're getting who an algorithm or somebody in Hollywood who's quite possibly never seen the franchise themselves says can make them money. You know, right. as a film fan, you know, I think we can all agree how that can end really poorly and how that can lead to a shitty movie. No, exactly. Now, one thing I did want to ask, uh, you've done a few different genres of, you know, movies and shows. You've been on reality shows. You've done horror, uh, sci-fi. Do you enjoy horror the most? 
I love horror the most for so many reasons. First of all, as a fan, it's my favorite to watch, as we mentioned earlier on, because it's just so unpredictable. I think there's nothing better than a good scare. Um, and horror is one of the very few films that can really move you and make you go different places in your mind. And I think that's a real art form. Um, but as an actor, nothing is better for me than acting in a horror film. The reality of the matter is it is by far a more challenging thing to make something impossible or unrealistic seem real. You know, we all know what a breakup looked like. So if I'm cast in a movie where my character suffers a breakup, I have stuff to draw from. I've done it. I've gone through it in my own personal life. I've seen other people do it. We all have frame of references for normal things. How many of us have a frame of reference for what it looks like if you're running from a zombie? I don't. <laughs> you know, trying to make the impossible or never going to happen real is really hard if you're, you know, a realism nut like myself. You really have to delve in deep to be like, okay, what would the character be thinking? What would they be feeling? How smart are they? You know, it's just harder, which I think is what I love about it. The challenge. Yes, what... by far the challenge. No, that's, that's, exactly that's fantastic. Such a challenge. And I think when it's done right, it also makes it that much better. Oh, Absolutely. Now, out of all the horror you know, projects you've done, do you have a, a favorite that sticks out in your mind? Truth or Dare was the first film that I ever directed. So that one is one that's near and dear to my heart. We're actually slating a release in the next couple of months. I'm not sure if it'll be end of this year or early next year. Um, but that one will always be close to my heart because it's the first time I ever stepped behind the camera from somebody who's always been in front. So it was just a really great experience and one that I'm so grateful for. That was actually going to be my next question. Uh, how was that transition from you know, going in front of the camera to behind it? Because you also uh, produced and co-wrote it, correct? Correct. Um, it wasn't easy, but it's also not as hard as people make it out to be. I think at the end of the day, if you really love something and you put the effort in, you can make anything work. And that's certainly what I did there. You know, I loved it. I loved the movie. I was the best fit for it. So it worked out. And it worked out, I think, really, really well. I think it's all about how much effort and energy you're going to give something. How so, are you going to fight for it? Something that I always ask um, actors, actresses, or directors that I interview, do you think it's important for, say, if you start out as an actor, to do some behind-the-scenes work and vice versa if you're you know, a director or a PA even? to do some acting that way you kind of understand what the other person's going through. Um, not so I think it's important, but not for that reason, because here's the thing. You'll never really know what they're going through unless you have your whole life on the line, you know? So you can't, if you're a director and you make your living acting in a role, isn't going to show you what it's like to be an actor, you know, wait till you don't have any other income coming through. You don't have another job lined up. You have a mortgage coming out. You have a husband or a wife and a child that you have to financially support. Then maybe you'll understand. Or like you've put 15 years of your life acting and you've had to take a lower paid role than what you wanted to because the offers just stopped coming in. Like there's so much more that goes into it outside of it's not like a job where you could just go to the job for one day and experience it. You know, I think there's some jobs like that. You know, for example, a plumber, you can go and unclog toilets for a day and probably kind of get to that headspace. But as an actor, it's just so different. But I do think it's important that you do all this stuff just so you understand sort of an idea as far as the physical requirements, which I don't think should be discounted, even though there's a whole emotional and mental aspect. And also because I think it's wise 
that you get on as many sets as possible, see how other people work, see how the rest of the world does what you're doing. You know, if you can learn from somebody else's mistake, then you don't have to make it yourself. In my world, in film, mistakes are expensive. I would happily let somebody else pay for them than I would. Very good answer. I, I totally agree with that. Now, one thing I did want to ask you about, um, I was also reading this on your IMDb page. Um, you did uh, what I would call a, a pretty ambitious thing. Uh, you filmed three movies while traveling across the United States. I did. How did that work? It was really hard. <laughs> it's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, it was one of those things that I really wanted to tell. It started with a great idea for a movie, and that was Mania, which is my fucked up lesbian love story. It's currently doing festivals right now. I think Great we're at, title, by the way. Thank you. Um, I think we're at 12 or 13 awards with, I don't know, 20 festival screens. So it's doing really, really well. But I knew that I had this amazing idea for this love story that I wanted to travel across the country and do. And I didn't want to fake it. Like a lot of the times they do, especially at the bigger budgets, they fake it, meaning they'll shoot in California and try to hide it and make it look like it's not California. And I knew that I just wasn't wanting to do that. I was like, no, no, no. I really want this to be authentic. I want it to be real. But then trying to shoot a movie while traveling cross country on an independent budget is really challenging. So then I thought, well, what if we did two movies and that could help defer some of the cost, right? Because now instead of making just one movie, you're making two. So I was like, cool, we'll make two movies, one while we travel across the country one way and the other majorly when we come back. And that'll help make it more financially feasible. Well, then I told everybody about it and they're like, that's crazy. But if you do it, you should film it because it's so crazy. You're going to want documentation. So that turned into three movies. And now... Because we had so much great stuff while filming, we've actually turned the documentary into a documentary reality series because <laughs> we had 21 30-minute episodes. Yeah, I was actually going to say I'd be just as interested to see the behind-the-scenes stuff, oh, like, it's like traveling all the way across the country and back. It's, it's a, for me, I get PTSD watching it, uh, it's <laughs> but it's really, really good. When I can, dis when I can dif distance myself enough from it, I'm like, wow, we kind of did something super awesome and also impossible to the point that I'm not even sure to this day how we got it done, but we did. What's the name of the documentary about this cross-country trip? Docu-reality series is called Kill the PA. I like it. Thank you. I uh, like it, too. Uh, do you have any uh, upcoming projects? I do. Right now, Truth or Dare is getting ready to go through distribution, so definitely keep an eye out for that. And then I do a little web series called Scream Queen Stream on YouTube. You can check that out. Um, it's just our fun little weekly vlog. I love film, um, and I love telling narrative stories, but I found that this is just another way to interact and let people into our real lives a little bit more. So you're going to see a lot more like behind-the-scenes stuff and just us in our natural habitat, so to speak. And then we've got... Uh, Truth There Are Two and Besties, which are in early stages of prep. So those are exciting. So definitely you can follow me on social media and wait for more updates on those because there's going to be a lot. Fantastic. A couple more questions. Um, what is one piece of advice you could give to anyone who wants to work in the film industry? Oh, gosh. It's always hard to pick one, right? Um, I would say if you want to do it, freaking put your head down and do it. You know, I hear a lot of excuses. 
excuses are not going to help you in this industry because the reality of the matter is it's one of the hardest industries in the world with the highest amount of competition. So stop with the excuses. If you want to do it, go do it. Realize that anytime you do anything that's as engulfing as a film career is, you're going to have to make sacrifices. That's not to say that you can't have a life that you can't have other aspects. It's just to say that acknowledge the fact that you're going to have to make a hard call sometimes. You know, it might come down to seeing your friends that weekend or working on an independent film, you know, and you're going to have to do what's right for you. And if you want to hear a good story about dedication, just rewind this episode like 15 minutes or so. Yes. Well, and that's what it, it really does take that, you know, just it is. It's it's a hard Here's the thing. It's a hard industry. It's not impossible. If I can do it, other people can do it. You know, where I differ is my work ethic is really, really strong. But guess what? It's a competitive industry. If your work ethic is not as strong as mine, then you should probably reevaluate your commitments. And finally, do you have any social media that you would like to plug? Mm -hmm. I love social media. It's my favorite. <laughs> you can absolutely find me on Instagram at actress Jessica Cameron. On Facebook, my fan page is Jessica Cameron. On Twitter, my name is Jessica Cameron underscore. Fantastic. Well, Jessica, thank you very much uh, for taking time to do the interview. It was great talking with you. Oh, likewise, my dear. Anytime. My thanks again to Jessica for that wonderful conversation. Love the story about her uh, organizing her priorities with wanting to move out to Los Angeles and, you know, cutting out the Starbucks coffee and figuring out what she really needed and what she really didn't need. And I think that was a very smart, common sense approach and something that I think we can all do uh, just in our daily lives alone. Don't forget, you can follow Jessica on Twitter. Just search for Jessica Cameron underscore. You can also follow this show on social media. I'm on Twitter. My personal page is at Derek underscore Diamond. The show page is at DDE underscore podcast. And I'm on Facebook. Just search for the Derek Diamond Experience. And don't forget, you can check out past episodes of the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Just search for the Derek Diamond Experience. And that's all I've got. So enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend, a fun Halloween weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. Thank you.